Hello, Chris here from Old Dirty Brastards. If you're a big fan of this podcast, you can support it through the ACAST support feature. You can give as little or as much as you like, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the description to support now. Thank you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, producer Seb here. Thank you so much for listening to the Old Dirty Brastards podcast. Before you continue with this episode, make sure you've had a listen to our cover of Wonderwall because that's what we're going to be talking about. You can go and listen on Spotify or iTunes or Bandcamp, wherever you like to listen to music. Also, check out our YouTube video of it that Barney made. So actually probably makes more sense just to go there and you can kill two birds with one stone. Now on this episode, you might notice in the first few minutes that Chris's uh, microphone sounds a bit funny. Uh, He had some technical issues and we had to sort of work around it with a backup recording. You don't need to know any of that stuff. You'll work out what's going on. Anyway, this is the Old Dirty Brasters podcast, episode two, all about Wonderwall. Right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second ODB podcast, the Old Dirty Brasted podcast. Here we are on a nice sunny lockdown day. Um, it's just the day after VE day, so we're all shaking off our VE hangovers, if anyone's got any. Um, and yeah, we're going, we're going to talk through our second single. Um, so if you're here and you listen to the last one, you're either very forgiving or you really want to know what happens when we talk about our new single, Wonderwall. Um, in the room with us, as always, is our... The brains behind the operation, Mr. Sebastian Philpot. Hi, Seb. How you yeah, doing? Yeah, hello. Good. I'm very good, thanks. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, I didn't actually drink any uh, alcohol last Did night. Did you not? Out of, um, yeah, I thought I'd try and, you know, try and be a bit healthier. But I did eat about um, about two kilos of fried chicken, <sighs> so I feel Did really you make it yourself? Hungover in a weird way, yeah. <laughs> you got a fat hangover. About five chicken thighs. Oh, amazing. Oh, Ooh, that's Quite nice. a lot. Um, that's nice. And I saw a lovely video of your very last note of your last post and a round of applause from your street, which I thought was wonderful. Yeah, um, my wife managed to miss the whole thing except for the last oh, note. Oh, that's uh, fair enough. Unintentionally created quite a funny video where... <laughs> I loved it. I, I loved uh, it. play a top E, and I then sort of bow and then wave as, as the whole road applauded. Beautiful, applaud. beautiful. Uh, <laughs> it was very good. I, I liked it a lot. Um, and then back again this week... We have the producer of Wonderwall... Um, who also produced the last track as well. It's Johnny Abraham. How you doing, Johnny? You all right? I'm good, thanks, Chris. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks, mate. And I have to say, I enjoyed your um, your podcast appearance on Seb's other podcast, Three in a Bar. Yes. It's lovely. Oh, they were very nice yes. to me, those two. Yeah. Seb and Verity, lovely people. 
Oh, it's good. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, I, uh, I was, I was a bit disappointed. The the fine biscuits that I bought weren't mentioned. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh no. Because I thought oh. that was the best bit. <laughs> but <laughs> nice. uh, the other, the other stuff was just an hour of me banging on about all sorts of nonsense. Oh, but, I um, loved it. The biscuits were good. It was like a, it was like a nice little yeah, uh, they were good, actually. behind the curtain of Johnny Abraham. It was I nice. hear that some people have been using it as a sleep meditation. <laughs> <laughs> it's good and the nice thing is you got to do it in person as well i did yeah this is pre pre-vid yeah because we're all we're all on zoom we're on the internet that's where we are back in the back on the internet on zoom doing this so you know it sort of doesn't help with the flow but we try our best um back again again this week back again again oh dear but he, he is back again it's uh and this time he's doing yeah talking about the video options that he, he did for wonderwall it's mr barney philpot hi barn how you doing hello hello yeah i'm all right yeah doing good, good. Did oh, you... similar to seb actually like food hangover today not oh. booze just yeah uh, i had I had about three pizzas, so I woke up with, like, a salt issue at about four a.m. Is that pizza for breakfast, pizza oh. for lunch, pizza for dinner? No, it's just when you make when you make a dough, you might as well make loads. And then, then the problem well, is you've got to you eat it, it yourself. Um, Barney, Barney, yeah. was it as bad as um, Norwich? Oh, it was actually on a par, mate. Yeah. Sorry to uh, for listeners, but uh, <laughs> this is an inside thing. But just a bit of context: me and Barney had Chinese in Norwich once, and uh, <laughs> and woke up at the same time in the middle of the night with a salt issue. Oh, boy, were you? Oh God, were you super <laughs> thirsty? Honestly, I I take a, a booze hangover over a salt oh, issue boy. any day. Oh boy, I like it that with, when it's with salt, it's not a hangover; it's an issue. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like something Dion Dublin might find on Homes Under That's the Hammer. Right, yeah. <laughs> This house is great, but it's it has got a salt issue. See, so it's going up to the bedroom. And there's a salt issue up there. <laughs> Chew up two jam. Brilliant. Cool. And then joining us for the first time this week on the podcast. Firstly, we have um well, if you listen to some of our recordings or you've ever seen us live, this man is responsible for a lot of the uh, a lot of the high notes you might hear coming out of the trumpet section. Um and uh, he is also known mostly by me as uh, the Queen of the West End. It is trumpet player extraordinaire Dave Hopkin. Hi, Hello, Dave. How are Chris, you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you, mate. How's lockdown treating you? Uh, fine. I'm getting a few few bits done. I cleaned out the shed the other day. Full, um, full of rubble <laughs> and spiders and things, and uh, rehomed the spiders That's in the uh, in the non recycling bin. <laughs> And um, define rubble. Is there like just well, stones and just rocks? just basically earth trumpets, uh, bits of broken concrete, um, mm. screws, loose screws, things like that. Uh, tidied it up and sorted my tools out. My tools are all in there. Uh, patched up a hole with some wood I found, and uh, yeah, just been. Keep, keeping myself busy, it's really. It's good to know you've confirmed that spiders are not recyclable. Do not recycle your spiders. Correct. Fact. Spiders <laughs> go... Do they go in the green bin or the black bin? Uh, mine went in the brown bin. Oh, the brown bin. Garden because bin. That's right, because they're food. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yum, yum, spider. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, Wait, um, is the brown bin the big one for oh, garden yeah, the big, waste, the or big... is that the small one for eggs? Oh, sorry, I thought the little brown well, one. Well, I've got a bit. small... I've got two brown bins. One of them's small uh, for food waste, and one of them... I've got two large brown bins, uh, which are for non-recycling. 
Oh, you see, you've moved. You've moved. See, that's the borough. Yeah, that's the borough of Sutton for you. And what what days do they do they come and collect your bins, Dave? Is it is it once a week or every once every two weeks? Um, well, the bin men come once a week, but they alternate between card and paper and non recycling. But and the food is every next week. week on Croydon Bin Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Bowls and cans every fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> oh my and what you can't all see listeners that is dave um has entered the lockdown um his hair and facial facial uh features attire have really taken on a life of their own it's pretty amazing <laughs> we're, we're urging his 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 wife hattie not to uh not to touch anything she keeps threatening we just want to see what comes out at the end it's looking amazing um are you enjoying it dave you're enjoying having the long piece yeah. Um, well, yeah, yes and no. It takes a lot longer to do um, in the mornings, uh, you know. I'm trying to think what the best sort of um, comparison is. Maybe like The Dude. Yeah. Or um, well, it's, Rick um, Torn. Sex, sexy Dude. It's Hunky well, Dory. It's Hunky Dory. Uh, uh, honky, honky Tonk w, Man, yeah. wasn't it? Honky Tonk, yeah. <laughs> honky Tonk. Uh, Billy, Billy Yates, um, another trombone player who plays regularly with the band, was saying I look like Honky Tonk Man, who had to Google uh, a wrestler from WWE or F or something. Formerly WWE. Some programme I didn't used to watch. Yeah. yeah. What? How do you do your hair? Have you got a hair dryer? I do have a hair dryer, yeah. So, uh, towel dry out of the shower. Um, give it a comb. Um, and then uh, rough it up a bit again. <laughs> put I put some... Um, What's it called? I think it's um, ultra matte. Uh, in a bit of that in the hair, then I blow dry it, so it gives it a bit of texture, and then uh, put a, put a little bit of product in. Not too much, and it remain. It doesn't go hard. It you know it remains soft and run my fingers through it. What about the beard? Are you, are you putting any product in that? No, or that's just sort of brushing. No, there's no there's no effort going into that. Like that's a just that's all brushes a day. That's just I'm just letting it grow free and I should imagine we'll shave it off as soon as I go back into society. The beard's just hundred percent natural talent. Yeah. I'm joining us next week on Croydon Hair Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Can we, should we get on with music? Chat? Well, we need, to, we need to introduce. I feel like you're creating a very difficult edit for yourself, Seb, by talking constantly about. Look, you just got to let, let this uh, go where it wants we to go. Gotta relate, gotta gotta let this breathe. Got to make it relatable. Got to make it relatable. If you talk so enough look. about Dave's hair, we will eventually. Listen, talk no one about wants to hear about how we made these songs. We we want to know about <laughs> Dave's hair. Fucking <laughs> hell! Oh, yeah. Can't wait to be introduced. I'm sat here. <laughs> oh, oh, God. oh he's, he's he's sworn now. We have to go back to begin. Start again. Okay. And uh, final, the final component on our podcast, joining us for the first time this week, um, having finally managed to get himself a microphone. Those are the rules. If you haven't got a nice, shiny, spangly microphone, you can't come and play on a podcast in lockdown. So uh, thanks to my Amazon Prime account and some lovely, lovely uh, delivery people risking their lives. Um, Here to co-host and co-founder of Old Dirty Brastards, it is the one and only Richard Turner. Hello, Richard. How are you? Hello, everybody. I'm good. What a pleasure it is to be here. Correct. Um, (laughs) Correct answer. It is a pleasure. Well done. And how is lockdown treating you? You're quite quite hairy as well at the moment, aren't you? I am quite hairy. Um, Yeah, uh, I'm having a good time. I'm looking after my very young son for four days a week, full time, and... uh, my wife's at the hospital, she's a nurse, 
So, uh, yeah, that's our situation. Um, it's funny, isn't it? This sort of lockdown coronavirus situation is so so different. You know, it's so different for everybody, isn't it? You know, some people have got more time. I feel like I've almost got less time, although I'm here. I've got the next <laughs> couple of hours. I've kicked... I've, I've kicked them out of the house. They're going for their. Uh, they're going for their one bit of exercise of the day. Are you? Uh, are you enjoying looking after your son? Is it? I mean, this is like quite a, quite a blessing, I guess, in in some ways, but obviously quite. Yeah, it really is. Um, particularly at his age, just changing all the time, and um, yeah, just new words coming out of his mouth, and yeah, I feel sorry for the grandparents because, of course, they can see it on FaceTime and Zoom, but uh, yeah, it's just it is a it is a joy to witness, basically. Oh, nice, wonderful. Yeah. You have a little son. You know about I do, this. I'm, it's amazing. It's like I've got... Because, um, so, you know, being self-employed, I didn't really get paternity leave. Um, so this is like doing it all again, but for longer and in a really sort of lovely stage of his life. Yeah, he's really opening up and he's coming alive and everything is new and every day he's doing something new and he's just really happy and giggly. So it's just... Yeah, I'm, you know... Six-month birthday today, uh, isn't it? Monday, it will be. Monday, Monday. yeah. He'll be six months old. Ah, mental. Six months is, is such a good age because you're getting all the smiles and some some new stuff, but you can like plop them down on the bum in the middle of the living room and you can just walk over and make yourself a cup of tea and you know they're probably not going to go anywhere. <laughs> yes, he is going whereas, nowhere. Whereas, whereas my little geezer, you can sort of turn around to make yourself a cup of tea and, you know, he's like balancing on the balcony <laughs> uh, or doing something incredibly dangerous. You've probably got uh, like... Spare pair of handcuffs. And <laughs> <laughs> or, your d- or your dad has, at least. Tie him up with... Oh, what? Cut that bit out. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, sorry, we didn't record that bit, did we? <laughs> Dave's referring to a bit before we started recording where we, we uh, realised we all found out what uh, Dickie's dad did for a living. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, bro, just a minute. Where did the handcuffs come into it? You tell us, well, Dickie, you tell props. us. Oh, props. Okay. You tell us. Just, you know. <laughs> just so we can really clarify this, my dad was a, a location sound recordist <laughs> before people get ideas. <laughs> Not part of the sex police. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. Moving on. Um, our new single, our latest release, second release of 2020, is um, the big 90s hit Wonderwall. And uh, we're going to talk now to producer johnny abraham uh now richard as co-host and you're new do you have anything that you would like to ask johnny about his process or anything of uh, producing our new single wonderwall um well that is a good question what you said there let's, let's just talk about the process of production what's the what's the usual how do you usually go about uh sort of recording all day bastards for these for these tracks johnny uh, well, this time, what did we do? We went to record our drums with Mr. James Knoll in his garage studio. But a very lovely thing he's got going down there. Um, so we went with Rick and we just uh, did as we always do with Rick and just smashed through loads of drums in a day. And he did great. Um, and then once we had that sound... Everyone just came and played their business on top. That's just how we how we do it. So we start at the bottom with Dickie on his tuba and then oh, Daniel on it and then build up from the bones and then trumpets and then I sprinkle the little dust of percussion with Eddie <laughs> at the end. That's 
that's how it that's how like and that's special dust it's not just any dust it's <laughs> sounds like a very magical process it is it's like making a cake nice it's the same dust you get inside the shaky egg the shaky egg yeah, that's right yes the percussion yeah yes yes that's why they're so hard to come by now there was a stage where everyone had one and now they're they're far rarer because everyone realized how valuable the dust within was <laughs> Oh, you heard it here nice. first. There you go, um, guys. Break open your eggs. You won't regret it. So Wonderwall, obviously, um, is a bit... It's very different to um, the first release of the year. Everything will be all right. Much a big, you know, much um, a different beast, shall we say. Much more up-tempo, very lively. Was there anything you did differently with this one? Was there any sort of thoughts you had going into this one to do differently than you've done in the past? Or just business as usual? Uh I suppose it felt like business as usual process wise but just every time we do it we just try and do it better really um and in this case the arrangement's so full-on and exciting and and uh and intricate that i suppose the biggest challenge was just getting it down really um everyone's got such a an integral and technical part so it was just a case of getting everyone in a position where they feel good about playing it and then um, just doing loads and loads of takes. (laughs) I think what I forgot to mention earlier, um, Dave Hopkin is here not only to talk about uh, trumpet playing in the old Dirty Brasses, but he... he, And bins, of course, and his his wonderful, wonderful lockdown haircut. Uh, He arranged Wonderwall. Um, You know, that's one of of many reasons we've got him in today. Um, Dave was the arranger. Um, So we'll get into that with him later. Um, but yes, if you have listened to this track, you will notice that it's quite, quite different. Well, not quite different, but it's it's just it's taken on a whole different life, um, and sort of taken us on a different direction with old dirty bastards from doing um, this arrangement, which is fantastic. But yeah, there's certain elements of it where sometimes there was maybe some more takes to do, but sometimes it was just like I think that's it. We've got it in the, in because sometimes you have a sort of a law yeah. of three, which I think we might have talked about in the other podcast. But yeah, my law, yeah, my law of three. See, I, I was, um, I guess. I guess I was maybe a little bit more lenient on that this time and Dave will certainly attest to that because we had so many ideas that we ended up... I mean, I don't know how he played his show that night, but... Um, I don't think I did, actually, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he called in sick. Um, his chops are on the floor, but we I think we really got it. That, that, that whole end section is so exciting when everything's in after a trumpet solo, so... That trumpet solo is amazing, isn't it? It's very, it's, for me, it's very sort of typical David Hopkin, high energy, sort of animalistic sound. I mean, I don't know how many times you had to do that in the recording. Just once, but, uh... I, I, I only played it once. <laughs> <laughs> First take, mate. No, but it is. Like, I mean, when you listen to it, it's one of, one of those ones, you know when you get a lead player that just, like if you're listening to some sort of really funky or some massive big band recording or something like that, and all of a sudden the lead player just takes a big old solo... And, you know, there's usually some sort of legend that's doing it. Like It, just, it was like that, Dave. It just seemed it's like off he went, bash. You know, and you do it every time, you know, every time we do this, you do it every time. Like, it's always bosh, just like that. And it sounds, you know, I love it. I, it uh, hearing that solo, I just get a real good tingle. Up. My back's just like, oh, yeah. Just, it's, a, it's a touch of class, Dave. Touch of class. There you go. I'll be, uh, 
I'll try and be mean about you later, but for now, you know, there you go. I'll be very nice. (laughs) I wonder if there are any sort of incredibly famous trumpet uh, soloists or, you know, anything that you, anybody you've licked from for that solo, just I mean, who's inspired you for that? Or is it just pure? Well, I'd say. Well, probably probably, um, Arturo Sandoval. Oh, nice. Is a big inspiration for, well, certainly sort of the the Latin influence of, um, you know, whenever I uh, take a solo, if there's any sort of Latin influence, it's usually come from Marjorie Sandoval. And sort of the wild um, wiggle your valves and play high sort of thing, I'd say Maynard Ferguson, he did a lot of that. So, uh, yeah, it's a very, uh, yeah, iconic sound. Surely came from Paul Casey as well, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You can't beat a bit of Paul Casey. Here. <laughs> never heard, I've never heard of him. When are we get, when are we going to record a uh, Brassard's cover of his Ness and Dorma? <laughs> oh my god! <clears throat> because yeah. uh, uh, the thing is, the world didn't necessarily know that it needed his cover of Ness and Dorma, <laughs> and they certainly don't know that they need our cover of his cover of Ness and Dorma. <laughs> but I they mean, do. I, I truly think that. Uh, you can't better perfection, so we shouldn't bother. <laughs> we'll be on I a mean, hiding to nothing to try that. It's one of the most we? incredible, balls-out, bombastic four minutes of um, uh, studio time that I've ever put in my ears. I don't know it. I'm going to have to go and listen to this. Oh, my God, I Chris. It's, it's, you'd think it was a joke, but it isn't a joke. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, What's his name again? It's, it's a, Paul Casia. C-A-C-I-A. I mean, he's probably going to be listening, right? So. I so. Yeah, he has all sorts of... Um, he's, well, he's quite similar in spirit to the Brasters, I guess, as a um, an artist in that he sort of takes um, well-known um, themes and tunes and from TV or, mm. or opera or whatever, and, and then he makes them his Obliterates own. Obliterates them. You've really made it your And, like, own. puts his own spin on it. Um, so he does, like, the Rocky theme, and he has... Uh, what else does he do? Oh, he has, like, an Elton John medley, I think. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, um, I had the Tiger. But then he does Ness and Dorma as well. But it's just... <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely incredible playing, but it's disgusting playing. In a good way. It's, it's good. Yeah. But in terms of, like, really changing tracks and making them super upbeat for a sort of a more wide audience, it's sort of similar to the James Last Orchestra... Because I think there's been some pretty serious trumpet players in that, haven't they, Dave? Um, yeah, I mean, Derek Watkins was um, was um, with the James Last Orchestra for many years. Um, who else have we got? Uh, Rest in peace, our legend. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Is this other guy Chuck somebody or other? I can't remember. What's Seb? What's, um, Chuck Finley. Finley. Oh, yeah, Chuck Finley. Finley. He was in James Last Orchestra. I uh, right? was in James Last Orchestra as well, yeah. Oh, Johnny, for all those sort of tech tech geeks out there, maybe you could talk a little bit about the microphones and sort of setup you used for this. Is, you know, is it the same as usual or did you change anything? Well, um, I don't know about the drums. James did that and he knows much more than me about that process. But um, when it came to the brass, I used this little guy here, the Shaw SM7B, um, the same microphone I'm speaking on um, because it's just really good for brass, uh, for f- like forward facing brass, um, trumpets and trombones. It sounds great. Uh, it's very adaptable and brilliant. And then on the tuba, it was a bit more of a, um, well, I suppose you could say a regression, but a, a regression to a better sound, I suppose, because l- last time we did this, 
I tried a couple of things and and um, used a Coles microphone on the tuba and just didn't get the same kind of dirtiness and subbiness that I wanted. So just went uh, went <laughs> went back to uh, a, a Shaw SM57, which for anyone who's even just got a little bit of knowledge about mics, basic, um, widely available and inexpensive microphone. But I use that because I could just chuck it straight down the tuba bell and get lots of that subbiness that I guess you really want when you're trying to make a a, a record that people might want to dance to. I think with a brass, doing a brass album of this kind of nature or a brass recording of this nature, the tuba is massively important, isn't it? Getting it to sound super heavy and just like a big old kick in the face every time is a skill. Yeah, and what what I did with it in that case was to double, I doubled the um, the actual the take, um, so just copied it across and then had one um, one whole channel which was mm. just dedicated to the sub of the tuba. So it's, I scooped everything out the top. Um, and then just had it kind of pulsing underneath the the main tuba line. So just that that was a uh, I found that to be quite an important thing with the band is is that sometimes you have to you have to separate people's sound and kind of just work on one bit. So if you want to kind of isolate the bass and boost it, or if you want to kind of work on the the fizziness at the top, then you can kind of copy the the stem a couple of times and then just have them all running at once. Tuba, super important. Yeah, oh, massively. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll have we'll have uh, the little baby-faced assassin Richard Evans in at some point over this series to talk about his role in all of these recordings. But I mean, it, you know, just sort of going off at a slight tangent, but it is like when you're used to listening to a pop record or any record, you know, with when you've got a bass guitar... You just got to pluck the string and it's there and it's fat and it's resident and it does it. Whereas, you know, you've got someone in a brass band who's trying to get as much air into an instrument that is, you know, almost the same size as them. And to continually keep doing that throughout the whole thing, if you want it to really fill out, it's just such a hard job. I I have no idea how he does it, but you've got him. Remember that gig we did? um, It was at one of the Blues Kitchens and uh, our tuba player who wasn't wasn't Dickie, it was a Depp. But they were stuck on the tube. Not, not. It was. They left plenty of time. It wasn't their fault. They were, I mean, they were, they were just. They and basically, we did half of the gig without a tuba yeah. player. <laughs> and it, it was like the weirdest gig ever. It without that mm. bass to make everyone dance. No one was dancing. They were just stood it's watching bizarre, us. Isn't it, it was like we were just playing yeah, with really a, hard. a brass. It's really hard, there. isn't it? It was suddenly like we were playing some bark that had been arranged but it's like that one thing that we sort of like do insist on uh live is that like even if we're doing an acoustic gig um in a small room or something and um chris has just maybe like a, a mic to chat to the crowd on or whatever but uh, but we're not mic'd up with our instruments we will then take that chat mic and shove it down dickie's tuba bell because if that bass isn't there and you don't feel that rumble on the dance floor as well as the the kick drum and the snare going like you're not going to dance so like it it's yeah we we didn't do it early on it took us a couple of years to realize that i think mm. and now we always shove 
shove any mic we can get our hands on just in there and at the very least Mike Dickey yeah, up exactly. that's important he's just facing the wrong way we should, t- we should tell him uh, which, where the crowd are next time <laughs> yeah Dickey yeah why is he facing the wrong way stupid boy <laughs> yeah but I mean, well, I mean people might be thinking well why doesn't he just play a sousaphone and maybe we should discuss this when he's here but sousaphone is actually in a, in a different key and missing a load of notes that you can't get on a tuba um, so yeah we, we prefer not to uh, plus, he can't be bothered standing up. So, either or, really. But also, the E flat tuba goes with our sort of typical sort of British take, doesn't it? On the sort of funky, funky brass band as well. Yeah, we considered it and thought, actually, no, we really want the tuba. Yeah, just because it was part of the sound that we wanted and the setup that we were used to. I think it has I more of a so, subby yeah. sound to it, doesn't it? It's a rounder sound, I would say. Doesn't the sousaphone is excellent if you want mm. a kind of edge to the sound and. Often you'll you'll have a sousaphone in the band and not really a full drum kit. You just have, you know, bits and pieces like a snare or you mm. just don't really need it because the kind of there's a percussiveness yeah, to the sousaphone. I suppose it's it's kind of designed for marching, mm. isn't it? So um, that's where that yeah, sort of tune in, tune in for that episode. Yeah. So Johnny, just thinking about the the art of producing. Uh, are there any particular producers? that have influenced you and you know how, how have they kind of come out in this particular record well my influences it's a good question there richard um the first time i became aware of production i think was when i was about 15 or 16 and i listened to the block party album uh silent alarm that was produced by paul epworth and um I think that was the first time I uh, I kind of became aware of it and interested in it. So he's probably the first conscious producer I ever thought about. Um, like in that style, like he produced quite a few indie albums around that time, quite a formative time for me. And so I I liked his his rawness um, that you uh, that you got with with his records and that obviously now he makes all kinds of records but also very lush and uh kind of cinematic style stuff but at that time his kind of like edgier indie sound was was something i loved a lot um but with this track specifically it was less um just chatting to dave beforehand that the reference for this tune was um uh bingo uh bingo bango is that right basement jacks uh I, i never know if it's bingo bingo or bongo bingo or you know but anyway so it was it was more um for, for this song it was more of a a reference of of like feel and vibe really that 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 we were going off maybe just for some of the listeners that don't know what a producer does you could just go into that a little bit because you know lots of people might hear the word our oh, music producer or it has been produced by but i'm not sure if everybody really knows what that actually means so you know what is the magic that you work um well, I, I don't know. I'm not sure how much magic is going on, but I think it, and I think for different people, it means different things. I think for some, a producer might be the one who who makes makes a beat from where the song grows, but others, a producer might have maybe a less hands-on approach and might just be there to to facilitate creativity and and to and to and to get the best performances out of people. Uh, nice, quite a fluid, quite a fluid role. Yeah, I suppose so, and and I suppose you, each producer defines their own role themselves. And for for me, 
it's um the the bit I enjoy the most I think is is just um being being with someone in the performing part of their process um just 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 trying, just trying to get the best out of out of who they are and what they can do and make them feel comfortable and and also but maybe sometimes not too comfortable you know I particularly <laughs> on this one I think um Dave you got pretty uh ravaged by my my non-stop <laughs> yeah I roasted him up a bit but I think I, I think there's a especially with a song like this there's um you you almost have to be on the edge of your seat really with some of it so sometimes it's a case of of chilling people out but sometimes it's a case of cheering people up a bit so that's that's what I did with this I had all sorts of <laughs> lights and bells and whistles going on around the room had a few dancers in the corner just getting the vibes right <laughs> I think you do get the vibes right, particularly, you know, if you're saying you G'd Dave up, you know, it's particularly in his solos, you know, quite typical Hopkin kind of animalistic yeah. electric sound, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think we've got some great stuff there. And, and um, I stand next to Dave a lot when we play and, 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 I, and I like just, um, I like just standing back and um, just having a little nod. <laughs> uh of admiration but um yeah it was cool you know we were we were like a meter apart and as much as i love that sound i think i was glad for my headphones at that at that point because the the room was shake the room was shaking nice yeah dave you're quite loud sometimes aren't you when he needs to be when he needs to be what other techniques did you did you use for this to create that carnival atmosphere um i think a big key with the with the atmosphere this time was a percussion um so if I remember rightly, we've got bongos and we've got tambourines and we've got shakers. Um, and it's, it was just a case of layering that up um, vertically, but also width-wise. So just having things panned, just trying to create that sense of um, you're kind of in amongst it. And and I think by the time... Well, I, I, this... Um, I think this this track comes across pretty well, but especially by the end, uh, where everything's kind of, you know, dropped in, it's it's like really exciting. There, we've got so much going on, um, and Eddie had recorded, you know, tambourine and shakers and con- and bongos, but I think even when he left, there was just a little bit more that I wanted to add. So, I um I made my shaker debut. That was you. This one as well. Uh, how did it, it feel uh, it it always feels great to play a shaker <laughs> i thought there was something different <laughs> a rogue egg and where's that actually actually it's right in front of me here this is this is my favorite shaker this is um um this is a pp shaker anyway there's a little there it is oh. lovely lovely sound <laughs> this time round, i really uh across these four tracks actually there's a lot of the the CLA seventy six compressor. Um, I was I was like very lucky to spend a bit of time with a, a good friend of mine who's a, a brilliant sound mixer and and uh, he recommended this compressor and just said you know he he uses it quite a lot for vocals and um, it's kind of kind of give a little bit of earthiness and warmth and and stuff like a lot of compressors do but this is the one he recommended to me and i got it and it's great um and also the um the waves kramer tape plugin which i love because 
um you can use it just quite you know you can use it quite subtly to add a bit of warmth and some noise and a bit of flutter to your tracks but also um you can i suppose use it a little bit more dramatically and creatively and really like whack the flutter up very high and whack the noise up very high and kind of give a bit of um almost like a broken effect to things that might sound a little bit i suppose a a little bit pure and you might just want to mess them up a bit so yeah that was um that was used a few times as well so yeah you've mentioned this term compression a few times johnny and uh for for listeners who aren't musicians or you know maybe maybe some musicians don't even know what what is this magical thing compression that keeps coming up well that's put me on the spot there dicky but um because you wouldn't want to get this wrong now would you having spoken about compression (laughs) but my understanding is that compression is the um it's the narrowing of the dynamic range between the loudest and quietest point of a sound um and once you've narrowed that so you can take the very quiets up so that they kind of yeah so you um they kind of speak almost as loud as the loudest bit basically you're squashing the signal and then you can move it up and down so um yeah that's that's how i understand compression and is that because like the radio wants that like a radio edit would want like a constant level of volume or what like why is it that we don't want peaks and troughs that's a i mean that's an interesting question i i mean yeah i mean yeah ultimately i suppose just the way society's gone we do want dynamic range um and and that's that's one of the most exciting things about live music is that in you know if you're at a a live gig that's mixed really well then you you have that range you have that dynamic range which sometimes even subconsciously gives you all that that excitement but yeah i suppose radio and commercial music is expected to be at a certain loudness and know that once you're in into that discussion is i guess it's more about mastering but um yeah there's just an expectation that a record a pop record is going to be of a certain loudness so that it uh competes with all the other lovely pop records but i guess it kind of exists so you can hear all the detail in the music you know so you can just alter a few things and nothing gets lost is it in the in the kind of final yeah um, uh, yeah product. i suppose so i mean and and it's just i don't think it's um i don't think it's um too complicated really i, I think with immediate music especially pop music you've got three and a half minutes to make an impact and just a case of like louder is better or five and a half (laughs) brilliant uh johnny's very busy man uh in lockdown uh he's got people to see places to be so he has to leave us um so thanks for coming in johnny and hopefully we'll see you again on another one of these single podcasts to chat more about your production involvement okay bye johnny bye guys cheers cheers mate So yeah, so for a bit of background on Wonderwall and the first first time we played it, um, we were rehearsing for our Definitely Maybe show and Dave's turned up with his Wonderwall arrangement and uh, pops it, puts it, you know, we will pop, pop it up on our iPads, give it a good read through, he explains it to us um, before we start, a few corners and turns 
we're all you know we're all blown away by it it's an amazing arrangement you know that's the reason why we've recorded it you know as a single because it's 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 just brilliant and very far you know it's not well it's not far removed from what we do but it's just got this really it's so lively and you know so intricate and such great horn lines in it as soon as we finish playing to playing it we're all we're all really g'd up by it and then rick just turns to us all our drummer and uh, he just says, we can't play that, they'll lynch us. <laughs> Rick's, yes. nor- Rick's northern, by the way, <laughs> just in case you're wondering. Uh, a lovely, lovely did northern man. You did not believe man. it, did, um, did yeah. you? not think it was going to go well? No. <laughs> yeah, and he was just like... He's from Stockport, isn't he? He's like proper... That's Manchester. Yeah, it's from, it's from, yeah it's, South Manchester. It's from like South... It's from like South... He's a southerner. Uh, Manchester, South Manchester. He's a posh northerner, if anything, guys. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's definitely going yeah, to be listening just, to this, Dickie, by the way. It's the wrong groove. Yeah, he, we just played this amazing arrangement. He's like, we can't play that to them. Because we, we, we were gearing up. We were going to play at a show up in Manchester. Um, we're sort of penciled in as one of the gigs. He's just like, if we do that up there, they'll kill us. <laughs> but, you know, the reception for it has been amazing. And we love playing it. And it's something that we really had to get our teeth into. So I guess the question we have to ask you, Dave, well, is um, what um, on earth were I you guess thinking? I just sort of thought, I wanted to do something that was going to challenge us, something um, new, some more sort of pop horn lines, things like that. Um, I was listening to a lot of Latin jazz and Latin pop at the time because I think it was the summertime and, you know, when the sun comes out, the Latin music comes on. Um, So a lot of artists (laughs) like um, Arturo Sandoval and... Uh, Michelle Camillo, um, Gloria Estefan, you know, things like, artists like that. And I just wanted to bring that sort of uh, Latin carnival uh, vibe to to the track and do something completely different to the original. Um, just, Just play around, keep the melody, obviously, but just completely change... The uh, the backdrop of the the track, yeah, which you you yeah you've absolutely nailed it. It's um it's brilliant. Well, thank you. So, like, is that Latin pop stuff? Is that some sort of you know music that you gravitate towards quite a lot? Or I think just so, just manner? because the nature of you know because I'm a trumpet player and uh, there's it's very there are a lot of trumpets on uh, on on Latin tracks and it's very you know Latin gravitates towards trumpet lines. Um, mariachi stuff like that. So as a trumpet player, yes, I, I I do listen to a lot of Latin. Music. So yeah, obviously you've been arranging for ODB as long as we've been going now. So seven seven and a half years, and maybe you could just talk a little bit about how you feel your arranging has developed, you know, changed. What's mm. you know what stayed the same? Some things might have always worked, and yeah, you know, what have you learned? Well, I think. Yeah, I mean, as the years go by, you get to know um, each individual player in the band's capabilities and sort of style of playing, and you start arranging for the players. I think in the beginning I was... um, I often make the tuba part the complicated, you know, more like a sort of a bass guitar part or something (laughs) like that. And then then Dickie says... I mean, Dickie can play almost anything... But sometimes it's like I, I do actually need to breathe at some point. So <laughs> things like that. Are you, um, are you coming from that as a your bassist as well, right? Uh, no, I'm Guitar. no, I'm not a bassist. But I. Well, would you play yeah. in your old band? 
uh, I played drums. Oh, drums. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Drums, uh, yeah. Um, the I played bass. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> Dickie was the bass player, yeah. Before my time. I don't think I was born yet. He was in the Convictions, drummer, <laughs> in, drummer and bassist of the Convictions right here. Back the, in the 70s. The Beatles band. the Forest Hill area. I think going back to when I first became interested in arranging was when I was at college. I did, um, at Trinity College of Music, I did a um, an arranging elective with a teacher called Paul Bartholomew, um, who used to arrange for the um, Jules Holland big band. So he did all the arrangements for them and he taught the, the course. And yeah, I just thought he was absolutely brilliant, really inspiring and taught me lots of uh, lots of the technicalities of arranging, such as how to harmonise a five-piece uh, saxophone section in a big band, things like that. And uh, so I still use a lot of those techniques to this day. Um, and yeah, I think basically when when I start when I start doing arranging, I I sit down and get the baseline baseline down first and the drums and then put the melody line on and then basically work work on the inner parts as I go along, just work from the outside in. So that's sort of the process that I I use for for uh, for my arrangements. Nice. Do you, do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy arranging, Dave? I do enjoy arranging when I've got lots of time to do it such yeah. as now <laughs> but um i think when i'm when i'm rushed to do something um i don't really enjoy it as much but i think yeah when i've got lots of time um i can just i can do bits bits and bobs on it um you know sometimes days apart or weeks apart because when i um the the perfect scenario for for um arranging for me is just just leaving it alone and then letting the ideas come to me uh when I least expect it so, so quite often I'll be I'll be in the shower for instance and I'll get an idea about an arrangement and I'll I'll sing it along in my head and then add little bits in my head as uh as I'm taking an hour and a half shower and much to uh <laughs> Hattie's annoyance um so yeah, I do a lot of arranging in the shower or you know stuff like that, <laughs> and then I'll go. Oh, I've got an idea, and then I'll go and write it down. Um, Maybe that's why your it. laptop's a bit dodgy sometimes, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Full of herbal essences. And obviously, like I get, I mean, this is probably a given, but like, do you find it much easier to work with tunes that you pick yourself, or you just think, right, I'd really love to do this, and that makes it easier? Because obviously, you know, over the years. Well, over the last, especially over the last year and a half, we've probably been doing a few sort of arrangements to order, you know, and we sort of had to do album tracks that, you know, aren't definite singles. So if you're not doing like the big single that you really enjoy or know, if you're, if you sort of taken on a track, a lesser known track, um, sometimes it's harder to sort of, for me, especially it's harder to sort of get yourself up for doing it and it becomes a bit more workmanlike rather than you get the ideas. Is that saying? Because I know you were really keen to do Wonderwall. You were sort of like, right, I'm going to do yeah. that. I've got an idea. Yeah, if, you, if I've got an idea for something and it, it just sort of, yeah, it sort of um, grows organically from there. But if it's something, if it is a track, for instance, I'm arranging a block party mm. uh, track called, um, can't remember what it's called now. <laughs> but, Always a good sign. You know, something I'd never listened to before. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm finding that quite challenging because... Um, I'm not as 
big a fan of Block Party, shall we say, as I am of Oasis. So that that melody isn't ingrained in me like you know, like a melody like Wonderwall because I've listened to it hundreds and hundreds or maybe well probably thousands of times now after arranging it. Yeah, but um, yeah, so yeah. I do find it more challenging when it's a song that I don't know or or um, yeah, I don't feel as sort of uh, g'd up to do it as I would a song that I know inside out. So arranging really skews your Spotify stats at the end of the decade, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It, yeah. I mean, it really thought I had a thing for Taylor Swift and I do not. <laughs> yeah, when you when you come back to listen to your plays of the year and you're just like, oh, I don't yeah. want to listen to these again. Yeah. It's utterly unrepresentative, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Everything else is have arranged. Yeah, mine's got a lot of baby lullabies on it as well at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've got all this to look forward to, Seb. Very exciting, yeah. Um, Dave, with with Wonderwall, there's uh, a lot of influence from uh, Dirty Loops, isn't there? Yeah. Roller coaster track. When did that come come into the process? Well, basically, I I think I was just, yeah, I was just listening to that track or listening to that album, Dirty Loops album, um, quite a lot at the time. And also, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of uh, Jerry Hay uh, um, and the Jerry Hay horns. Um, if you're unfamiliar with them, they're basically uh, the horn section you can hear on pretty much most tracks from the uh, 70s and 80s pop tracks. Um, all the Michael Jackson um, horn lines, all the uh, Al Jarreau, um he also recorded a lot, quite a lot on Earth, with Earth, Wind and Fire and um, I think he might even have done a couple of Tower of Power tracks as well. But um, And uh, he was heavily involved with Quincy Jones. So basically that sort of era, um, I, I just love that, those, um, those uh, horn lines from, from that era. And uh, Jerry Hay collaborated with Dirty Loops on... On that, on their um, track uh, roller coaster, and I just thought it was an absolutely brilliant um, horn set, horn solly, and I just wanted to, I yeah, I just wanted to use that in the track as a little sort of nod to to Jerry Hay, who's uh, a massive influence on me. And my it's a really hard track. Were you? You know, uh, in those first rehearsals, we were talking about we can't even play it, but we actually we couldn't physically play it very well. So. Um, <laughs> we kind of got i guess we just got used to it and practiced it a bit and got better and and now we, we play it in loads of gigs don't we but there was a time at the start where it was like actually this is a bit yeah. it's not the biggest thing we've had to step up to yeah. yeah yeah well that's the idea really i just wanted to to yeah make it a challenge for us and and sort of up our sort of general standard of um well, not standard, but, you know, we're all of a high standard. But the, the arrangements that we play, I just wanted to start doing more complicated things, more challenging to get together and, yeah, I, I think... think uh, I think it'd be better that came taking across. it musically a bit further than the average ODB arrangement because you probably had to because yeah, you well, changed a lot, it so much. A, yeah, because a, yeah, a lot of ODB arrangements that we've all done in the past have... Um, have been more sort of true to the original track. And I think everybody's putting a, a lot more um, sort of composition into their arrangements, um, myself included. Um, and, uh, yeah, making it more individual. But I think that's just a natural progress. 
uh, that we're going going through. And I think um, we're definitely finding you get what you get out of it, what you put in. Like we're sort of we're enjoying it more for putting in more effort with the arrangement initially. Yeah, like we, we can absolutely. enjoy a gig a lot more because it's like, oh, I love playing all of these. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and I, and I've also decided made a sort of I made a conscious decision at one point. I remember I was arranging um, the uh, pussycat pussycats um, pussycat the, pussy, the pussycats uh, yeah the pussycats. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's that track? Um, They're good girls. What was it called? Don't you? Don't you? Don't you? And uh, in the middle of that, there's um, there's a rap from uh, I think it's Buster Rhymes and. So that was a challenge. I was just sort of thinking, right, how am I going to get a rap onto a brass instrument? Um, and I thought, right, well, perfect opportunity to stick a horn solly in, which I hadn't really done before in any of any of my arrangements. And I just thought, right, from now on, I'm going to stick this horn solly in, and from now on, I'm going to I'm going to put a horn solly in pretty much every arrangement I do, just to add that yeah. sort of extra section. Mm. So I thought, oh, I'll start doing that now. But the process That's I went through... That's out elsewhere as well. Like, I've done one influenced yeah, by you. Yeah, so well, a couple of people fun. have started doing that. And, and I think we've realised when we play live, play these things live, it's just it's just a lot of fun to play with the, with the big horn solly in the middle of it. And it gives that, gives, uh, yeah, another element to the to the arrangement, to the track. But I think, um, yeah, it was a big challenge to, to overcome the rap, sorry, rap section. Um... And the way I did it was I took when when you listen to Buster Rhymes in that track in particular, his the first uh, few bars of his rap is quite melodic. So um, I took uh, sorry not melodic quite rhythmic. So I took the um, the rhythm of his rap and then I just added added a melody to it and then started harmonising it with other parts and then it grew out of that. So I took the initial. Uh, the initial um, idea from Buster Rhymes, and then developed it from there. So I think that's how I how I overcame the the sort of the rap, rap obstacle, as it were. Um, yeah, yeah, that's rap. That'd be nice to record that one. I I can't remember. We only played that a few times, didn't we? That that song. Yeah, yeah. I can't really rem- remember it if I'm honest. It's good. Yeah. It's well, really it's not good. the most sort of inspiring song. Um, <laughs> You know the baseline doesn't really do much. No. It's quite flat, isn't it? That throughout, but uh, it is. Um, yeah. So, but I think what you've done so you've made it really interesting, Dave. And you know, I can remember hearing that in a few gigs, and you know, it was kind of really standing out. And your sort of soulful influence was kind of just really coming to the forefront. And you could, you could kind of tell. You know, the band's energy kind of stepped up. And you know, when that happens, obviously, like, the audience just get even more g'd up, don't they? And you know, it's something quite special, I think, for the audience when they hear something that's truly, you know, a unique take on something that they've heard before. Yeah, exactly. And also, and, you know, we are a, a brass band. We are a horn section, a big horn section, but so we should be playing horn sollies, really, not just the melody or, the, or a solo section or whatever. We need to do sollies, shout choruses, things like that. Mm. And, um, and actually, when you yeah, think, think about it, it actually is way more suitable than the various attempts we've had in the past to play a rap. Yes. Some, I think sometimes we've like brought a rap to life. Like one of the tracks we've got coming up is, um, it, is it wasn't me. Yeah. And 
I think it works there, but in other occasions it hasn't worked, you know. And so actually, why yeah. why it's try quite and... a melodic rap anyway? Yeah, but why try and crowbar brass into a rap when you can absolutely yeah. get it to fit like a snug glove into a horn solly? It makes yeah. much more sense. It's a different texture as well. It's like when when you know at times we've like for like the second or third verse we get like two or three trumpets to play at the same time at a kind of mezzo forte level. It it creates a whole new texture and it's a it's another creates more interest doesn't it because otherwise it's just the third verse <laughs> so uh, but yeah having shout choruses and sollies that's definitely an exciting texture to incorporate i think it just says a lot for the power of unison doesn't it you know sort of simplicity and you know having a, yeah well the know, thing trum- with the trumpets that seb's saying is like completely kind of um echoes like the the style in like new orleans where where kids are just on the street um groups of 12 kids are just on the street just absolutely kind of um just just blagging some tune from from memory and and it's pretty much got a sousaphone doing a bass line some trombones doing some stuff underneath and all the trumpet like six trumpets <laughs> yeah. are just playing a unison tune and it's like so raw in its um structure and arrangement and stuff but like the sound is yeah. like it's completely unique magical sound um, isn't it you just know you're in New Orleans, basically. Sometimes it's got to be used quite sparingly, though, hasn't it? Because we, when we do arrange, we're always of that, why is that doubled in that part and why is this? It doesn't need yeah. to be. So you've got to think, right, I really want to use it here and yeah. then just drop it in. And when you do and get it in the right place, yeah. it's just got that real kick that uh, works very nicely. Hey, Dave, can you give us a pricey of how you arrange for five saxophones? Go. Okay, well, basically, for five saxophones, you take the chord that you're arranging over. So you'd have a melody line in, say, alto one. And then as the melody goes through the chords, you use each um, each uh, note of the chord going downwards um, in a very close harmony. So say, for instance, you had... Uh, a C uh, major seven chord, yeah. and the melody line was on C. And you put the ne- the alto two part on a B natural, and then tenor one on G, yeah. tenor two on E, and then you'd have the you can have the um, Barry sax playing the bass line throughout, or the you know the the root of the chord throughout, and then you just keep going through the through the you know follow the melody line through. So if the if the melody line then goes up to a D, or, or um, then put alto two up to a a C, and then um, tenor one to a B natural, tenor two to a G. Oh, right. so, so you keep going through there. Together. Very yeah, close harmony. So, so a lot um, of parallel stuff. And going you on. can al- you can also have um, well then you can work around it, and then if something's a bit too crunchy, you know you can you can. Uh, you can drop a harmony down, so you can do you could do sort of it's called four way close harmony, and then so for instance, if you wanted if it's too crunchy, you do four way close drop two harmony, so you drop the second voice down to the bottom of the chord, so say for instance, as I was saying, the melody line goes up to d and it's a c major seven chord, you'd have d c b all together at the top oh. so that's a little bit crunchy so if you do four-way close drop two you could have d b 
So you drop the second voice, drop two. So you drop the C down to the bottom. So you'd have D, B, G, E, and then you drop two, the C down to the bottom. I think that's interesting, right. isn't it? Because those of us that have had more of a kind of classical training, when you think about a chord, sometimes you think about it from the bottom up, but you're sort of describing it from the top down, I think. Yeah, I always think of it from the melody down Yeah. when I arrange. I don't think like going upwards. Mm. Drop down from the melody. And, you know, and there's... there's there's a you know there's a lot of a lot of uh, use use of your ear as well when it comes to you know you're not just looking at it on the page just going oh well that that follows the rules that looks right but if it sounds not so great then you know use your ear and change it that's the best tool you can have that's what I think is so yeah. mad about like when we all did like I don't know if you did but I did like um, Bach Chorale module to my GCSE or A level or something yeah. and and it's just it's just you with a page and a pen. They don't give you like a piano. They don't give you anything. You can just sort of like work on it for the hour. <laughs> they just go write it and, and look at it and check it's correct. But visually, it's yeah. like, well, I'd like to just kind of hear what's going on. <laughs> but and I don't well, think I, that I, would be cheating, would it? That, I guess you're meant to try and hear it in your head. But I know, but I'm sure Bart does had a little piano. <laughs> it does. Um, Do you reckon he had a, pi- yeah, he he did, a he piano? Did have, <laughs> he did have a little piano. Tiny actually. one. But yeah, I know what you mean. It, it does sort of reduce the whole thing to a Sudoku. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wouldn't get. I wouldn't not pass that GCSE. I've got to tell they you. They should put them in the back of the Telegraph. Figured bass and Barcarolles <laughs> really sapped all the fun out of music, like lessons for me. It's just like oh, just like yeah, like you say, so like Sudoku, like so it's just like fill in the numbers. Like yeah, Bach, yeah, that's great, but that's not really what I'm in it for. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but I think it's um, interesting what you said about uh, Dave, about how you arrange. You start off with a like a, a beat. Did you say a, a drum beat and a bass line? Yeah, start with the bass line and then add the melody on top. Yeah, and then yeah, I think um, I think I tend to over arrange on the first draft. I just put everything to it. So you know, no one, yeah. a lot of people haven't got bars rest or whatever they need by the end of the uh, process, but. Yeah, I always start with um, start with the bass line, and 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 then add the yeah. add a drum beat onto it, and then add the melody, and then work out what I want to do with it from there. I wait, you know, wait till uh, wait till shower time to to work out what I want to do with it. I have a little <laughs> think in the shower, yeah. and then uh, <laughs> I think you've on. always done that, haven't you? I always had a strong beat and and bass line in mind because a lot of us, and my, myself included, um, at first didn't really write any drum beat out at all and um and also don't, don't really know the limitations of the tuba as well at, at first we've and we've learned over the years of course um and i i always find myself like if if you if you've got a drum beat especially if you're doing something new with the piece like like you have with this song wonderful it then sparks other ideas if you've already got an i uh, a new beat in mind you know rather than arranging with no beat even going on on sibelius that's quite hard to, to come up with a new style, a new you know, a new type of song. Because because Wonder Boy is, is like a mm. a rock ballad, isn't it? So Well I think it was I think anthem. it was necessary to change the style, wasn't it? Because to yeah. just straight up do it as it is, to try and do that on brass would have been, I don't know, probably not the way. It wouldn't have worked, I don't think. It would have been very uh, dirty. And, you know, you would have relied heavily on the crowd just singing over the top of it to get us through it. 
We've probably made that error with arrangements in the past, and like thinking back now, there's probably a handful that we could totally reimagine. Uh, yeah, and go. Oh, actually, we're gonna put a completely different groove on that and and give it some life because some things are just they don't translate to brass in 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 a just complete transcription. It doesn't work. Yeah. Well, I I did it with um, the other one. What's it called? Oh, don't look back in anger. Don't look back in anger. Mm. I. I I basically didn't do anything to that. <laughs> I just, and I, I sort of, I guess I went the complete opposite way to what Dave did with it. And I just, just put it, wrote out what was there. And because I just knew that we don't even have to play the melody on that. The crowd will it's sing It's the same it. with the uh, Champagne Supernova as well, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah I did nothing to so, that. Yeah. Those, those <laughs> just, weren't the ones go. I was kind of giving, uh, referring to really. No, they, no. Because you don't, they're so good. And they're such good sing-alongs. Like, yeah. it, you wouldn't, it would be a waste of time to like rework them. But like, there's songs that aren't as good. <laughs> they just sit in the middle of being. They're just all. They're all right, and we've done yeah. nothing to them, and it kind of passes people by. And that's not good enough, really, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. You deserve. It's, it's we'll like counselling. You deserve better. <laughs> you deserve better. <laughs> We're learning. Well, those ones won't get recorded. Yeah, no, so, sorry. They do not make the cut, do they? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. These are all coming out in lockdown. Um, and it's always good to have something, when you're releasing something physical, it's always good in this day and age of social media to have something visual to go along with what you're doing. Um, 
and you know were we not in lockdown we would have probably been able to come up with a lot of content to put on our videos that go along with these and so we did the but you know we did the first video for everything will be all right and we were like oh we, ha- we don't have anything and barney you came up with the we got the, the, all that stock footage put together and it was really nice almost like a guided meditation to go such a lovely chilled track so we come to this one and we you know all racking our brains and then just on a day barney turns around and he goes oh hang on guys I've got the perfect thing. It'll take me 10 minutes. 10 minutes. And we're all on center hooks. And then about three hours later, <laughs> <laughs> an amazing video appears and of, of a one take of us actually playing the song uh, up in Manchester on the, the 25th anniversary of Definitely Maybe being released and of us playing this. And it was brilliant. And, I mean, it was almost as if you... Did you, did you almost forget you had that footage, Barn? In that moment, I, I, prior to that moment, I had, I had kind of forgotten but um yeah we, we've been racking our brains about what to do for this video as we are for for all these eight tracks we've got coming out because there seems no sign of lockdown ending right now so to go out and film anything new is is not really possible um aside from filming things in my own home maybe but like uh so the first video we did was stock footage but then this one didn't want to repeat stock footage again really because it's like well I mean, yeah, it's good to have visuals or something, but like, it's got to have a relevance. And I think mm. I think that that everything will be alright had some relevance because of the feeling of that track and everything. And yeah, it was like quite meditative. But then with this, it was like people were suggesting ideas and stuff, but like the thing of lockdown was just basically preventing any of those ideas from coming to fruition. Um, and oh yeah, that was it. Like Dan West just sort of said something like. Um, Surely you've got some like some footage. Um, we can just like piece loads of bits of footage to us together and just put that to the track. And I was like, well, it's it's just simply not going to look good if we are playing music visually that is different music to the music that's on the audio. Like, I I, I believe quite strongly that wherever possible, unless it's very um, abstract, um, that wherever possible, like the the visuals on the screen should exactly be matching what we're playing um it's it it kind of grinds my gears when i sort of <laughs> see things on on telly and there's just been like lazy editing and yeah. you see it every now and then on 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 things it's just like like there's the trombone isn't even to their lips like how are you you know there's another anyway. so i was like I really, there's another model there's sorry. another model nicking our miming credits yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. although a lot of that work does actually go to musicians to be fair yeah, it, but, it's, it's yeah. supposed to thank you emmy yeah. for uh, making that happen <clears throat> but um yeah so so i was like so, so thinking thinking that i was like oh if only we had a video of us playing wonderful <laughs> i was like oh what so then yeah i didn't tell you a uh, lot i was just like because more than probably any other idea I've ever come up with video-wise, I was like, they're, they're going to love it. They're not going to hate, they cannot hate this. Yeah. This is this is amazing. We did like a one-take long shot thing uh, four or five years ago for Kickstarter mm. with our first album that took like a week of script writing and um, camera plotting in a park and you guys learning scripts and getting costumes together and then like four hours filming and I couldn't stand up at a gig in the evening because we'd just been standing up for all that, you know, for hours. And then, and that, and it came, but it, we kind of got this great thing that we loved, and it felt really special that we'd done a one take long shot. So knowing how rewarding that uh, kind of felt to put out, I was like, well, yeah, this is going to be this is going to be great. So essentially, what we had was when we went up to Manchester in August 
on the 25th anniversary, um, Seb had just bought a gim- an iPhone gimbal, um, and uh, sort of, and, and Johnny came with us um, just for the crack, really. Like he wasn't going to play trumpet that day, but he was just going to come up for the crack. Mm. So um, Seb was like, "Oh, uh, can you take my gimbal?" And just film some stuff, like film the gigs. And uh, Dicky, uh, Dicky Turner, you were up there with us as well, sort of as a sort of second angle. And I don't really know, like I think we were really excited. It felt like something to document going up there on the 25th anniversary. Mm. Didn't really know what um, what we were filming for. What we could do. I think we thought we'd just maybe put like a 10 minute thing together of like, hey, look, this is us going. It's like a little mini documentary. Maybe, we could do but, a bit of the slide away challenge as well weren't we yeah there was that as well yeah but but like we were recording all sorts we were recording the train journey we were recording all sorts of stuff and um and i mean in in hindsight now uh with everything that's happening um it just it just never hurts to just film stuff all the time even if you don't have a plan for for it yet yeah um and that's that's come true as well with the um are you mine video that's that's just come out as well but um the essentially we were recording a a little a little sort of um live visual to to put out our version of slide away which was like a bit of a thing at that anniversary mm. it was like everyone on twitter was doing their own version of slide away so we thought oh, well, we can film that and put that out um but other than that i i don't think there were many songs that we had complete takes of we just had bits and bobs and like johnny and dicky did a great job of like capturing a um, a few things during the gig but yeah the main thing to capture was slide away and then so then when I had this idea after um, Dan was saying we should put some some like of us playing Wonderwall like some visuals to it I didn't even know that we actually had it and then for for months now I've been like clearing my storage on my phone anytime I need to and like but then leaving these videos I had like 16 videos from Manchester I was like still not really done anything with them yet but never delete never ever delete <laughs> ever ever um I have learned that one actually a bit I we filmed some Arctic Monkeys show last year and I deleted a chunk of it recently just because it was taking up space it was visually it wasn't very good and then actually it turned out that I really really needed a bit between tracks of like Chris talking for, for something and I uh, don't, don't have any more so yeah never delete but um, oh, sorry I went off the beaten track a bit there but um, so looked through these videos and discovered that we had this I was like oh there's Wonderwall and then I was sort of sliding through the video skipping through like please all be there please all be there and yeah magically we just had this complete take of Johnny with his iPhone on the gimbal just walking through the band through the like along the front by the crowd um getting some like really amazing shots and just it's just constant and it was like oh okay 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 so i can do something with this and then um so i've got it all loaded up on on final cut and obviously the nature of us playing it live is that it isn't the exact tempo that we've recorded it at and it certainly isn't the exact tempo constantly all the way through the song like it, it basically is but like there are there are moments where you know we're, we're pulling it around or whatever and so i had to do like quite a bit of re-timing um speeding up uh little sections and slowing down little sections that you hopefully like wouldn't notice just bits of the crowd and stuff to then like get us back on track get get us re-synced with the audio mm. again 
and then maybe a minute later we'll be slightly out of sync again so I had to, had to do some like little more speeding up and slowing down um, and then uh, I finally got my chance to do a, a, an Alfred Hitchcock cut which I've always wanted to do where um, uh, it's in, you see it in 1917 as well like every eight minutes or so um, you know it's this it's this one shot long takes sort of film and but actually like the moment that they disappear into a bunker and it goes dark cut that's the cut and then it's so like <laughs> yeah okay cool or, or they zoom into a, a someone's back and it all goes dark and then they the back walks away and that's a, that's a new take and i guess i guess it's pretty obvious but some people wouldn't notice it and um i think i'm right in saying that alfred hitchcock sort of did that first with like rope um i love watching rope and um uh um, doors opening into the into the right into the lens and then the the, tr- the trunk where they're keeping. It's not a spoiler because it happens at the start. There's a dead body in the trunk. <laughs> I've not mm-hmm. seen it, but I will. I will oh, oh, it. Great oh film. my god, I recommend yeah. it. And if you, yeah, yes, yeah. Also, if you're a fan of Poulonk, that gets played Ooh. a lot. Um, I am not, but yes. <laughs> no. So I did that. There was like this point where um, I needed to make up some time again. Um, now, why did I do that? Oh yeah, I, I needed to make up time. So it was like right. Zoom into that. Um, uh, zoom into to this speaker at the moment that you pass it, and it all goes black, and then fade to black during that moment, and then bring it, and then and then speed it, like cut out a big section, speed it through, fade out again, and like I don't know, I, I don't, don't even know. It's, it's pretty good. All, all these little, there's all these little tricks in there, which which is why it took <laughs> three hours, not ten minutes. Well, it's funny because we're, we're it, very conscious but, that you know because you're the you're, you're the video guy in the band. And, you know, we do sort of, you know, people just sort of go, oh, yeah, we, we could do this for a video, do this. And, you know, he's very conscious of like, ah, oh, let's not give Barney too much work, especially because at the time, this time, you know, you were mixing your four tracks that you've produced as well. So, like, you know, even though we're on lockdown, yeah. you've got a lot to do. So it's just yeah. like we had talked about like, oh, yeah, well, someone else could like have a go at doing some video. Like, you know, they, it set someone else a change. They can learn it. It's a new Definitely, skill. Have a yeah. go. And then, yeah, if it, if, it, if it needs tweaking, Barney could give it a little tweak. And then... You know, and then you just dump, jump in and you've got, I've got this. Yeah. And you just do it. And it's just one of these things that you seem to always be able to just go, actually, hang on, give me two seconds. Well, that's it. I, yeah, I it. sort of talked about this a little <laughs> bit last episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely not precious about that at all, especially with, we've got eight tracks coming out. Like, there's no way I need, I feel the need to do all of those videos. Um, however, I, if I, if I'm like really excited about an idea or like feel quite passionate about something or whatever, like, I'm, I'm really happy to just drop whatever I had planned that day <laughs> <laughs> and, and go and, and get, like put this thing out because I, I felt like the Wonderwall video was just going to be really cool and look great. Um, so then that went to the top of my priority list mm. that day. Yeah, I mean, that, that isn't always always the case. Like if I, I kind of don't do much video stuff for other other people anymore, really, because if I don't, like if it doesn't excite me, like I've I'll have a real difficult time to kind of um, g myself up and and get it done. Um, so, like, but obviously, like the the ODB stuff really excites <laughs> me. So, but similar so to like, uh, Dave and the arranging, then isn't it? You know, he was sort of saying that. Yeah. When he's truly uh, inspired by something, it'll just be a pleasure to do. But sometimes, you know, I suppose yeah. you're talking about getting outside commissions, or when he was talking about, you know, sometimes you just have this kind of commission to do and it's like a bit of a drag isn't it that's so. it and I think you've seen it around the band as well with like 
the the kind of stuff that we've been doing as a band in the last year and a half in particular it's got everyone so excited that like people pull their finger out way quicker now to and, and get everything done way quicker because um i don't know we see results quicker as well so it's like you put this work in today like we're gonna have an amazing day next week <laughs> so like people do stuff and then we have this we just have a, a nice time together so um yeah so yeah but with with the video stuff i i i if i if i sort of suddenly feel like this a good idea then i will happily bash it out um and that you know we haven't got ideas for all, all the videos still yet to come out and if i don't have one then then that will probably be the the time when someone else can have a crack at something um um, it's, really, it's really hard yeah. to think of something when you're sh- stuck in a house. <laughs> it is hard. It's kind of the beauty of ODB, though, isn't it? You know, we've got so many sort of artistic minds in the sort of creative collective, so it doesn't always have to be down to one person. And mm. we've kind well, of we've got a bit of an emb- embarrassment of riches, haven't we? Really, we've got. It's that's amazing. Completely, like, that's the, completely the, true. Yeah, the reason we like can uh, kind of achieve the workload that we we do or, t- or turnover of arrangements and, and projects and stuff is purely because of like manpower um and the inspiration will strike yeah. at some point from someone if we're stuck something yeah. will something yeah. somewhere will get someone and then we're all good a very important part of it is when we all get together and um so for instance you know with wonder War, we did the first read through um but in rehearsals after that there were suggestions from different people like oh why don't we put a stop in there or why don't we cut a chorus why don't we put a solo section there or whatever and the arrangement uh, is done through through uh, the rehearsal process and everyone having their input and I feel as though quite a lot of, quite a lot or the majority of arrangements that we have are everyone's had an input in them it's not just one person you know one person comes with an idea or or you know a whole arrangement and then tweaks are made and you know for instance uh dickie will say oh can you change that bass line around or can you give me some bars rest or can you you know take the semi-quavers out stick some or whatever and uh it'll just evolve every rehearsal and then you, you end up with the finished product thanks to uh 12 arrangers rather than just one yeah it's not i suppose not often is it that someone presents an arrangement and everybody just goes that is just perfect as it is and i've got nothing to say people are always sort of so so eager to, yeah it never happens so eager to contribute and just sort of um yeah share ideas and the whole thing just becomes so much more interesting and stronger through the collaborative process doesn't it really Mm. there's been so many times where um you know because of the pace of the show um we we feel like oh we need to do something here because it's halfway in or we need to have a drum solo or something we need a, a rest or and then because of maybe some random event the way that we've rehearsed the order of rehearsal or something we'll we'll cram two things together that you would never have thought of um do you know what i mean i yeah, can't well, really no, think, I think of any, if you think of the examples but... of something like the arctic monkeys show there's a reason yeah. that the um the drum solo happens in um all you people are vampires it's because it's mm. in the middle of the set if that song mm. was first it would not be in that song yeah no it's like about those sort of random um things that come without any planning that then you then sort of lean into. They, they stay. And that they? thing where you, you can do as much as you can at home and it's great that we all come to the first rehearsal with having done as much work as possible. But then it is then 
you've got 12, 10 or 12 minds or whatever. Who um, don't adulterate it. Then someone thinks of something else, a, a connection to something else. And then, and then you go, oh yeah, well, we could put, let's, let's go up, mm. let's go up a third here. See what that, happens. that happened massively. And we'll try it and go. We talked about this a little bit last episode, but like with Johnny's version of Royals, like the way we, yeah. we don't really play it anymore, but the way we play it, it's like not what he wrote on the page. It became like a, it's like a reggaeton, <laughs> um, Afrobeat thing. Afrobeat thing. It's, yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, it's bloody great, but that that is not what he or any of us had in mind. I think someone just did it for a laugh one day, <laughs> yeah. and everyone was there. He is followed. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of that happened yeah. with uh, Chris's bad romance as well, didn't it? Oh, a few yeah. years ago now, but um, that's, that's more like a lead. Yeah, show. yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you didn't put too much. You didn't put too much on the page, did you? I suppose, Chris. But um, that kind of also kind of lets people be a bit more creative in rehearsal yeah, it would sort of turn turn something into uh, a different style and then people can chat about yeah, it. Yeah, it was one of my first first ones. And so, you know, th- at that point, you know, you didn't we didn't really know how things were going to pan out and so, especially with depths and things like that. So it's just sort of like I've written it all out, but feel free to express yourself. <laughs> um, just, yeah, just give it a go and see what we could do. And then, yeah, it just morphed into all these sort of crazy little sections that each one sort of takes on a little life of its own each time um mm. yeah and you know that was definitely back in the day it's like well you know listen to the tune sort of hear how that goes there's something on the page there but sort of try and try and do something with it just to make it more interesting um yeah yeah so that be that's but that's because it was early if i'd have done it later on down the line there'd have probably been a, a bit more of a different vibe and more more on the page there had definitely been a drum part written for it to start with <laughs> um yeah. but yeah it's, it's just how yeah we all sort of put our minds to it to help it mm. create something a bit more interesting and better mm. yeah, barney are you sure. just talking about uh your sort of influences you know you mentioned hitchcock um i just wanted to ask you you know specifically about your you know influences for you know music videos is there kind of music video director or you know mm. kind of specific band really which put out videos which you know in, influence you yeah um well let's think really because initially initially i was just trying to learn how to use the gear really um and see what the best way of shooting people was and and editing and th- that was that but then um getting more uh sort of technical with things um and and looking into like what i might want to like recreate there's i mean i've always loved the 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 one take long shot thing so there's that um but what was really relevant actually with this particular video was uh, a couple of months ago we all got really excited about uh like wolfpeck dropped their like entire madison square garden show online um which was all done on an iphone um on a gimbal and i mean i i've been following that band for a couple of years now and and loving it and i've seen them live stood out the front shepherd's bush empire stood out the front um indoor <laughs> i was indoors wasn't that i got in i had a ticket um but uh, brixton academy as well and um it's it's an incredible vibe and you're there with your mates and amazing loving it but nothing kind of prepares you for uh, feeling am- like you're amongst them, and that was like so special on that Wolfpack um, live show that I watched, where like I was just on stage with them, and I I was 
I wasn't. I wasn't. But in <laughs> like there visually, I was there. I was I was completely with them, and seeing these people up close in their element, playing to a ridiculous amount of people uh, in Madison Square Garden. But they might as well. I mean, they dressed it up like it as well. They they might as well be in their basement, their rugs down. They had their normal area, their normal little seating area where everyone chills out if they're not in a song. And and you'd see that the camera would like zoom past them, and a couple of them would just be like chilling out on the sofa on on stage at Madison Square Garden. And I just thought that was really special. Um, I've done a couple of things, a couple of projects orchestrally where. Um, uh, people can can walk amongst the orchestra and stuff, and like that, if if it, it, it's quite emotional, um, I feel like it's quite an emotional um, attachment to the music you can get when you're in amongst it. Um, and so yeah, Wolfpack really achieved that. So, um, and that wasn't uh, we didn't we had already filmed this actually when that Wolfpack stuff came out. So, um, I mean, what are the chances and the sheer luck of just realizing that I had. I had a version of us doing that on, on our phone that we could use. It's it's so great, and so I um, I think people will enjoy it t- to watch that sort of thing and be amongst um, the musicians. So, like see Rick up close on the kit, like counting us in at the start and stuff. Like that is not a viewpoint that anyone other than us really gets. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just, really nice. I, I think I think artistically it, I think. it's quite an important thing, isn't it? Because when we think about you know what happens at an ODB gig, sort of sonically with the music the crowd are very much a part of the performance because they're singing along they're providing the lyrics and then of course it's so nice to be able to mirror that in in the image mm. and you know they're a part of it mm. you know, it's coming from the band's perspective they're a, you know they're in the trumpet section at one point they're you know next to rick at another and i think it's it's lovely that we can sort of mirror mirror that in yeah. the images yeah definitely yeah so i mean in the editing process and realizing I had this video, then yeah, Wolfpack absolutely was a, a sort of inspiration there. But um, uh, we had it anyway, so <laughs> not, we just we just had it. But I'm so glad Johnny just took the um, initiative to just get up on stage and, and stroll through us as we did it, rather than thinking he needed to stay out of the way or anything like that. Like he just got in amongst it, um, and all the better for it. Really, the worst bits of the video are when like. He's he's not mm-hmm. with us, you know. It's like it's like it's just sort of flat on and filming filming from the side or whatever. Like um, it's really exciting when it sort of gets moving and stuff. Um, and uh, unlike in other videos where like I cut away to maybe like Dicky's second camera or something, I think that takes away the 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 power of like the 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 long shot. So um, or or because or, I might cut away to like help with a, an edit point if we're slightly out of sync or whatever, but. Um, I wanted to avoid that, so it was quite. It was a nice challenge to find other ways to um, overcome that issue, yeah, not being synced, um, rather than just doing cuts and stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I can go into more detail on, on other influences on other videos. I guess it's different for each yeah. one, I think. But in this case, the, the thing that most aligns is is that Wolfpack show, and I recommend anyone listening to go and watch that whole thing. Um, it's, it's like it's the best live the live best live video live show i've seen in absolutely years yeah i think i think i've seen a really interesting um snarky puppy video as well uh they're in some kind of opera house and all the crowd are they're kind of sat on stage on sofas with headphones on and the band are in the middle yeah and that's kind of a similar idea isn't it you know really sort of yeah. bringing the audience and the 
performers together and um, that's it there's no yeah, there's no like, reason why we need to just be in this like um same setup as like has been happening for hundreds of years like we can we've got technology now to like change that um and that comes down to like the even the camera gear and stuff like i've been using dslrs to film with for years but actually for this like for this it's it was actually it's iphones are so good now that you're better off just sticking an iphone on a gimbal like it's, it's far less clunky um for johnny to cart that up to manchester you know it's it's far easier to just use his iPhone, um, and then obviously like like Wolfpack do as well. Like you don't just leave, you don't just put that raw footage up, even with like the bits of retiming and stuff. There's there's little bits of um, you know you, there's coloring and grading and um, little effects. Like there's a bit of, I put a bit of strobing in there and some like made it look a bit kind of like a cine a cine film or something. But um, I wanted that that strobing to happen, um, kind of to kind of um give that kind of Gloria Estefan vibe to it as well because like that's the vibe of the song so you know you wouldn't make the video look like it was um some sort of uh found footage thing from 1930s or whatever or, or you wouldn't make it you, know, you wouldn't make it black and white you wouldn't make it sepia you wouldn't um you wouldn't just make it like uh something that didn't suit and so I wanted it to look disco-y um because essentially we were at a disco and uh, yeah, all the lights were amazing and stuff. So all that strobing was like really helping creating that kind of vibe. Yeah. Dave, did you go to um, Thingy, Nebworth? No, I didn't. No, I was too... Um, when was Nebworth? Too young. I think I was too young for I went to Birmingham NEC or whatever it was called back then. Um when they were doing their Be Here Now tour. Uh, I was 15, I remember. I was, I was surprised my parents let me go, actually. But uh, I went with a friend from school and his older brother, who was probably about 17. We well, must have been at least 17, because he drove us um, all the way to Birmingham. I remember getting there. It was my first... It was the first time I'd been to a, a big sort of live show, and I just remember being in the room and um, Oasis came on and the bass started playing... And you know when you feel like your heart pounding in your chest because it's so loud? Oh, yeah. I had that feeling. I was like, oh, my God. <clears throat> and it had a real effect on my on my friend that I went with because he, uh, he passed out from it. <laughs> he uh, he oh, God. The bass was so loud, he passed out. He was on the floor and he had to be taken away by the paramedics. And uh, he was fine. He came back at the end of the gig, but he missed the entire gig. Um, but oh, uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. They don't, mate. Yeah. They don't make rock and roll shows like that anymore. No, they don't, no. <laughs> Too much Too much health tape. and safety. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they were great. When did I go and see them? I saw them and they played the old Wembley Stadium before it shut down. I think I got to go on the good day before Liam Gallagher was hung over the next day. So I got them, got them on form that night. That was really good. And then I saw them, when did I see them? I saw them at Wembley Arena again. Just at, at Arena, I think, when they weren't quite in their pomp again. I think, you know, they sort of went down a level and ended up playing sort of a few arena shows. Um, but it was good. But I remember just, I don't know, the, sometimes their fans are a bit... Lads, very lads. Laddy sometimes. <laughs> and they they will pour a cup of piss on you just as they think it's really funny. You're just kind of like, oh, okay. But yeah, I mean, amazing life. What a band. I think, I think that's who Rick thought was going to lynch us. <laughs> yeah, they're all going to be there. <laughs> 
Dickie, did you get to see him at all? I saw them once, which, you know, wasn't enough, obviously, but I saw them in 2009 in their last tour. Oh, nice. Uh, I think it must have been June, and they broke up in the August. And, um, yeah, it was quite interesting. I saw them when I was, like, living in Santiago, and I just stood there about a foot taller than everybody else, <laughs> about... 20, meet, 20 meters in front of Liam Gallagher with, you know, very Liam Gallagher hair. And you must have thought, what? <laughs> Who's this guy here out in Santiago? That's amazing. Thinks he's me. He thinks he's me. Chili mega fan. Um, and that was, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, that, was the, that was the only time. And then um, by the time I got back to the UK, it was all over for them. That's it, done. It's been a while. Yeah. They've been, it doesn't feel like they've been broken up that long, but it has actually been quite a long time, hasn't it? Like ten years yeah. now, isn't well, it? Two thousand eleven. Yeah, they'll be back. <laughs> that, that that money will. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Liam's really keen for them to get back together, isn't he? Is he? But um, Noel just won't have it. Those guys love each other. Which which is amazing, considering like his solo career is actually incredibly successful. Yeah. Um, yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't even need Oasis to get back together. No. He'd really like it though. He like, he's, he says it on Twitter a lot because yeah. he's. People are saying, you know. I saw a tweet, someone had said, oh, this, the, the one good thing out of this, if you guys could get back together, and then Liam's like, fingers crossed, hope so. But um, no, they're just not talking. They're about. both quite so successful now in, with their own projects, aren't they? You know, yeah. So um, I think it probably will happen, to be honest with you, but um might take a few more years. A bit of therapy, maybe. <laughs> I, I'd it. love them to get back together with the original lineup, though. Bonehead. If they can the, still play. Uh, well, the, the What's the Story... Uh, Quigsy Bonehead and, uh, Bonehead and yeah. Alan White, yeah, 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 yeah. That other drummer wasn't wasn't the best. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, so yeah. Thanks for thanks for listening. Um, we got oh yeah. So don't forget if you if you if you are a fan of Johnny Abraham, get over to the uh, the Three in a Bar podcast. Go and give that Seb's Seb's main podcast. That is, um, go and give it a listen. He sort of he t- he'll talk a lot about um, talking about all the stuff he's done with uh, public service broadcasting. Um, it's, it's really good, really good insight into how he works and what he's been up to. Um, and it's a, it's a very good podcast. I enjoy it a lot. Um, Busy week for Johnny's vocal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's been podcasting away like mad. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you like this, uh, if you like this this episode, there are some more to come with all the other single releases we've got. So. Uh, go to wherever you listen to your podcasts like and subscribe maybe give it a review um, it's early days for us yet we're getting around all the technical issues um, that are needed to get this done in lockdown um, one day it would be lovely to be all sat in the same room and have a nice chat about these things um, but yeah thank you for so much and hopefully uh, see you all again on another one bye Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.